second reading this morning, of course, is from Gospel of John. We are reading chapter 13. We are reading verses 18 to 30. So, Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scriptures. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was the reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money and some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. That is the word of the Lord. We're certainly going to look at a dreaded prophecy today. The stark truth of the coming events will start to unfold in all its clarity. We know that Jesus is spending time here, this rare and most valuable time, with those that are his own, with the exception, of course, of one. In the second half of verse 10, Peter, Jesus had told Peter, You are clean. Though not every one of you, it is with this fresh in our memory that the next verse, when we start this morning, that will make some sense for us. But let us pray that we may truly gain some good, worthwhile understanding of all of what's going on and how it affects you as a person. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you will guide us through this sermon today, this text that you have given us, the teaching that so clearly sets out what is happening at this place at this time. And it is not just an isolated event, Lord, it is an event that is ongoing for all eternity. It is, has got an impact on us, impact on every human being, those that are called and even those that are not. We pray, Lord, that all this will be clarified for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Verse 18, I'm referring, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Well, Jesus is obviously quoting here Psalm 41, therefore also fulfilling another scriptural prophecy about himself. This is what he continues to do. We know there's well over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speaks to us about who Jesus is and who he is. And he's fulfilled all of those prophecies. In verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Yet again, Jesus stressing the truth of him being the Messiah, him being God. I tell you the truth, he says, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and anyone who accepts me also accepts the one who sent me, namely the Father. He keeps referring to this close relationship between the Father and himself, in effect repeating this continued claim that he's made that the Father and I are one, God. Well, there is a point here which is really important for you. If we were to ponder why Jesus constantly quotes scripture, we find that it is done to strengthen the faith of the disciples. And when we read the Bible, it strengthens our faith. And he comes to understand that scripture is unchangeable. All of it comes from God alone. This is something that cannot be said about any other writings in history. No history books, nothing is unchangeable according to some. But God's word cannot be changed. As the world changes, so does the understanding of our world. People used to think that the world was flat. Well, generally speaking, that is now accepted that the world is actually a sphere, even though we still have flat earthers among us. And then it was thought that the sun was circling around the earth, but we now know for sure that we are actually circling around the sun. Whatever has been written by man will naturally also change as our understanding of the world and the creation that God gave us as our understanding changes because we actually have limited knowledge. But it is not so with God. God possesses all knowledge. He is omniscient as well as omnipresent. He knows all and he is everywhere. Whatever has come from God is perfect, and that also includes the Scriptures, the Holy Bible. God's law is perfect. Jesus quotes in Matthew 5, 18, in the Beatitudes, he quotes, For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen by, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It will stand. Many has over the years made statements such as that there are certain books of the Bible that we should recognize as maybe the wisdom books. It's an academic understanding of the Bible. But if you really think deeply about it, it isn't just the Psalms or the Proverbs or even Job and the Ecclesiastes that are the wisdom books. It is the entire 
Bible that is filled with wisdom, that every page of your Bible is filled with wisdom that need to be learnt and understood. That is why it is important for us to keep reading the scriptures, reading the Bible each and every day, and not just that some people will have you believe that says to you, I have read the entire Bible and I'm done with it. That doesn't work for you. Every time you open the Bible and read a passage, even the same passage over and over again, you will glean another truth from it in addition to what you learned the last time you read that passage. That's how it is. When you and I read about the Pharisees, it's almost as if they are spending their entire time writing about what they think about what God could be rather than learning more about what God wants them to understand about himself. We should not make such a disastrous mistake in our lives. None of you. Don't make a mistake that thinks that your thoughts about God is more important than what God wants you to know. Last week was about striving to be a servant, servant of the servant king. And we arrived then at the conclusion that all the apostles served the Lord God faithfully right until the day they died. So we should be able to grasp this idea that we too are, as we are also called and we are made holy in exactly the same way as the apostles were made holy and called by God. We are also to serve the Lord faithfully with our whole of life until the very last day we are here on earth. See, the call God made on you is not for one year or two years. It is a lifetime call that will take you into eternity. Jesus has just quoted Psalm 41 and he continues in verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. There's two parts to this verse we just read. Jesus was troubled in spirit. What he is revealing to them and witnessing to them brings all of these things that are coming a lot closer to him. This betrayal that he speaks of is what will send him to the cross to die. His troubled spirit will only increase from here on right up until the time we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is praying in Luke 22. He says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then there's a revelation. One of you is going to betray me. See, all of these disciples had walked with Jesus for three years. They know each other really, really well. They trust each other. They have all been asked by Jesus to walk with him. And yet, the revelation is a shock to them. Just cannot believe that one of them, one of those twelve, could actually be a traitor. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Well, see, it's easy for you and I, post all this time, to grasp all this, but see, for the disciples, put themselves in their space. 
all of these things are happening one step at a time. It is being revealed to them one step at a time. And now this, this revelation that one of them is a traitor, it's incomprehensible to them. Having walked with Jesus for three years, heard everything he told them, witnessed all the miracles, seen the compassion that Jesus had for the people and the people that he interacted with, and then now one of them, one of them is going to hand him over to be killed. One of them, the disciple on who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciples and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread. When I have dipped it in the dish, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave to Judas Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. I'm sure we can all agree Sometimes it's difficult to come to terms with the teaching that we have in the Bible. These verses bring out things that can be hard for us, and yet it is the truth that every one of us need to understand. There's three things in this little passage we can take. The first is the truth of salvation. The second is the problem of discerning who is saved. And the third one is a reflection, indeed, on the incomprehensible patience and perseverance of Jesus Christ as he walked on earth. Well, let's start with the truth of salvation. Sinful man, each one of you, require more than a good example. There is no better example than Jesus Christ, is there? Surely, we know that. And yet so few people, having seen him, witnessed his life, his teaching, the miracles and all the things that happened, so few had believed on him. And maybe Judas, more than anyone, had lived and walked with Jesus for three years, had been present on the mountain when the Beatitudes were delivered to total wisdom. He had been there when Jesus healed and when Jesus brought people back to life. He was there, but then had not believed. See, people, you, you need more than a good example. No man nor woman can ever be saved unless the Lord actually places a cause on them and then places the Holy Spirit in their heart to reveal the Son to them. That's the truth of salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that gives life. It is just the same way as the Holy Spirit brought Jesus to life in the first place and then resurrected him again on the third day. That is the Holy Spirit. Knowing this and understanding it is such an important matter for you in your walk with God. Firstly, it proves that you and I are not able to make anyone a Christian. And even better, you and I can't be held responsible for anyone else's life or anything else for that matter, as far as salvation, at least, is concerned. That truth is so incredibly important when we consider the second point, that of discerning of who is saved and who is not. No matter how long you have been a Christian, and some here have been a Christian for 50, 60, 70 years, 
but none of us are able to with any certainty to make a judgment as to other people and who they are and who's saved and who's not. We can have a guess at it, but I can't say for sure. None of the disciples would have ever thought it possible that just one of them would not be a chosen by God. You can't imagine it. The 12 of them walking with Christ every day for three years. There would never have been a thought that none of them. All we're able to do is watch people and try to discern from their behavior as to what state they're in. But we cannot see into their hearts. Only God can do that. In Acts 15, we are told, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. That's the truth of it. If we read and fully comprehend that the verses in Galatians means, in 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Yes, we try all of us, so very hard to be all of that, but none of us ever really quite make it. Only Jesus was ever a man that actually lived that to the full extent of the teaching that we have. You and I will have bits of this and the bits of that, and we know that when we are called by God, we will be perfect like Jesus, but not just yet. That is still future for you and I. And the third point, the patience, the perseverance of Christ. This is possibly going to be what should also impact on us the most. Just consider this. Jesus walked with Judas for three years knowing how this relationship was going to end. Think of it. How marvelous was the patience of Jesus having tolerated Judas all this time, knowing that he was in charge of the money and had spent it. Not even once had there been a time when any of the other disciples could have even had a sneaking suspicion by the behavior of Jesus that something was wrong with Judas. Jesus had treated Judas with the same care, the love and compassion as he had with all the others. How close, how close are you to such behavior? Having such patience, such perseverance with one another, with your children? In Acts 10.34, Peter confesses, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. What a God we have. In all seriousness, it takes a sinless man to live up to that. But that doesn't mean we are allowed to give up because we know we can't make it on our own. We need to get as close to this standard as we possibly can with what we have in light of what Jesus has done for you. You owe him that. He deserves that. And now we're going to come to some sad and somber ending of this passage. In verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. 
What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. The full truth had not sunk in to the disciples as yet. It has just been way too much for them to actually absorb and take it all in and understand what was happening here. They still wanted to think the best of Judas, maybe out of fear that one of them could be next. How sure are you? How much time do you spend in the scriptures to understand who Jesus is? This passage ends on a truly somber note. See, back in John 12.35, we read at the time, then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer, while, walk while you have the light, he says, before darkness overtakes you. And we remember back far enough, you go all the way back to the beginning of John, the gospel, in chapter 1, verse 4, John says about him, in him was life, and that life was the light of all men. So when John finishes this second, this section here now in verse 30 with the words, and it was night. Judas had walked out of the room, and it was night. It takes on a much deeper meaning than merely saying this is the end of the day and the time of the day or whatever. Yes, John speaks of a spiritual darkness, the very death of the Son of God, which is going to come about in the next 24 hours in their life. It is that close. And for us today, we can reflect on men like John Chrysostom, 3rd century, John Calvin, John Knox and others. Those men were not the light, but they reflected the light of Jesus. This is what you are called to be, a reflection of the light. Live a life that reflects your calling, your love and your commitment to Jesus. That's what you're called for. And we can only pray and hope. May the Lord, through his Holy Spirit that he has given you, strengthen you in your faith, guide you to live a life that honors Jesus Christ, your Savior, all the days of your life. Let us pray. Our gracious, persevering, patient God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the teaching we receive through your word. We pray, Lord, that we will indeed listen carefully to the guiding of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. May we take all this serious. May we continue to read and come to know you. And may we serve you with our whole of life. May indeed the world around us, may they see us and say, he is a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things, Lord, we pray in his name. Amen.